Hello, everybody. Welcome to yet another episode of Puro and the Roughs, Scandals of Puro. Um, I'm Lawrence, and uh, we have the usual crew here, but we also have a special guest. So we have Jamail, we have Isaac here. Yo. Yo. But we also have a special guest, like I said, and uh like to introduce our good friend uh, Ricky, uh, also known as Pro Rest Hero on Twitter. Uh, hey, how's it going? <laughs> um, yeah, what podcast, Ricky? Yeah, we brought Ricky <laughs> here. Because... When's the last time you did a podcast, Ricky? Oh, geez, uh, a few months ago, I talked to uh, to Brian Elliott just about random random wrestling. So this is, I think, the first podcast I've done that's got like a proper theme to it. <laughs> I think it we're in your element as well of um anarchism. Yes, that is the topic. Yeah. <laughs> that is oh the topic of the day everybody. It, it's a big one. Uh, I I know people wanted this. Uh it's a it's a it's a hell of a freaking topic and a lot of depth involved in it. We're going to try our best to cover most of the bases. Um it it's it's something we've been definitely looking forward to doing and that's why we brought Ricky here cuz Ricky knows a lot about this subject and probably more than myself and Isaac uh definitely and uh, I know Jamail knows a lot too but um but I mean anokiism I, I mean what what is it what is, comes to your mind when when that word is thrown around people oh. crying on twitter about things they don't know <laughs> oh a solid oh, answer not just <laughs> Not just through oh, you mean cast for for he not um, knocking out Shibata in them matches. <laughs> Generally, you know what to expand upon the crying on Twitter thing. Just people just crapping on Kazuyuki Fujita, and um, a couple of years ago, somebody made a really good point. Everybody's quick to say Fujita should have never been champion, but nobody ever offers a solution. I know, right. <laughs> Very good point. Yeah, but... like to to expand on Fujita real quick. A lot of people have this misconception that he was a pride guy who came in and they shoved him to the top. That's not true. He's a New Japan trueborn, and even if he wasn't legit enough to do MMA, like he was still going to be the guy. Like he's a fucking roided up monster who could do Frankenstein's. Like Inoki loved that dude. Right. And actually, Fujita, he was actually if he was one of the I think it was him and then Lasuda who became big time stars off doing RMA stuff. Hence the anocleism back craze with the shoot guys getting big time pushes. Like yeah, Nakamura for example. Um, Yasuda winning on that one New Year's Eve show basically is what caused him to beat Nagata in that tournament final. Yes. Um, for the yes. title. And then, of course, a month later, Nagata beats him back because, you know, why not? Why not? Yeah. yeah. I think um, I think we should talk about the genesis of how Enochism came to be. Right. And when, because I, I, when I, think I hear Enochism, I, I think of different style fights. That's the first term that comes to my mind. And that's really, really, I guess, essentially what the, the basis of the idea is. is you know, on is really just different types of fighters going at it. And Hence the yeah. king of sports. Yes. Yeah, I was going to say that's literally what the company was founded on was uh, Inoki's idea that wrestling is the strongest martial art. And we can we can get into whether or not the different style fights were, you know, real fights or whatever. But oh, yeah. 
Um, there, you know, there was uh, the whole controversy when uh, him, he, fa- oh, and uh, Noki faced Ruskin, the uh, the uh, Russian fighter, and uh, in the early seventies. And you know, there was very, very much of a controversy of like, is it was it real or was it not? And you know, Noki was kind of working it at, uh, as, in public as it was, and, and then a lot of people disagreed. And you know, well, uh, Ruska did too. Yeah, he, he never claimed that it was anything less than a shoot. Right. Yeah. So it, it's it was a little bit of a an interesting start in, in that aspect for Inoki. You know, obviously Inoki is you know he's a he's a, a promoter at heart. <laughs> so the the truth will will sometimes be stretched. And the but Ali Muhammad Ali. So this this is interesting so 1976 happens and we get into a big deal here so some people don't i don't know if everybody knows but muhammad ali is a pretty big wrestling fan well what you know was a pretty big wrestling fan i should say and yeah. and uh muhammad ali he loved the, he loved the theatrics of wrestling he loved the like the gorgeous george aspect of of wrestling so and um there was basically, you know, Ali was starting to wind down his career a little bit here. Um, it, it definitely he was in the twilight of his career at this point, and uh, it, this was pretty much directly after the Thrilla in Manila um, uh, against Joe Frazier, and uh, and he and he was like kind of at this point where he was like getting really overweight, and and he like he actually got like taken to 15 rounds by uh jimmy young and it was uh it, it was really weird and so like ali was kind of in a, in a weird stage of his career here it was kind of a transition period and uh and then he uh finally uh there was a agreement made with anoki uh that they would because uh, they were um, the idea of fighting Anoki came around in '75 when Ali was introduced to Ichiro Yada, uh, who was the president of the Japanese Amateur Wrestling Association in in the United States. Um, and Ali said, and I remember reading this in his in in the book uh, that was about Ali and Anoki, isn't there any or- Oriental fighter that would challenge me? And he'd give him a million dollars if he wins. And that's you know Ali. When Ali says things, they they start to you know have a domino effect. That was the impact he had on the media at that time. And you know, Anoki accepted the challenge, and Ali accepted a six million dollar final offer from Anoki's backers. How crazy is that? I mean, to think about that in 1976, six million dollars is a lot of money. Oh yeah, especially then. I mean, especially back then. I mean, it's that's just insane. So yeah, and then that was uh, at the that point in March '76, they they signed for the fight, and it was set for the Budokan, and uh, for June, and uh, and then Bob Arum was signed on as a promoter, and he said that Herbert, who is uh, Ali's manager, said uh, the Japanese people have come to him with all kinds of money to go over and fight Inoki. And he thought that this was a big fraud, but Ali's doctor, Freddie, uh, Ferdy Pacheco, excuse me, uh, said something different. And Ali's fight in Tokyo was basically a Bob Arum thought of scam that was going to be 
oh, we're going to go over there. It's going to be orchestrated. It'll be, you know, just kind of a worked whatever. Thing, problem was, uh, no one told Anoki that. <laughs> because Anoki came in to this and took this very seriously. And and, and Alik was kind of a, a, taking it as a joke, too. And it was kind of like, oh, you know, hey, we're going to work a wrestling match. Sort of like, you know... We're, we're gonna work this, and you know, I'm gonna, you know, entertain the fans because Ali got it. Ali understood wrestling. He understood how to. Yeah, he did. He, he yeah. understood how to draw a reaction and how to be a heel, how to be a babyface, and how to get the elicited crowd response from certain people. You know, and you know, and Ali talked his shit, and he was like, you know, he did, he did, you know, he promoted a fight. You know, Ali did what he did, and he promoted the fight, and he kind of made fun of Anoki a lot. Um, he even at one point said, uh, like, he made fun of Anoki's chin, and then Anoki actually said, um, when your fist connects with my chin, you better take care that your fist isn't damaged. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, line. And actually, the, the, the build involved the, the, the WWF at that time as well, with the Gruel Monsoon being involved in the angle, which Ali... Show up on on the TV, I think in Pennsylvania, if I'm mistaken, yeah. to confront Gorilla, and Gorilla gave him the airplane spin, the spin after he no sold Ali's punches. Yeah. Yep. So. And I think, yeah, I think it was, it was I think the the fight ended up being closed, sucking it yes. around at MSG. Okay. I was actually. just I was just gonna get to that. Um, Vince Senior sold tickets to the closed circuit telecast. At Shea, it was um, he sold about thirty two, at ten dollars a piece, and interestingly enough, it was a double build main event, and yes, it was so Chuck Chuck Webner, who took mm-hmm. Ali to fifteen rounds in a, one of the most unprecedented like uh, boxing moments of all time, probably up there with Buster Douglas knocking out Tyson. Um, and, oh, don't get me started on that. <laughs> um, oh, my God. But, uh, you know, he... So it was Wepner against Andre the Giant, believe it or not. <laughs> so, very interesting. And it was being broadcast around the world. So this was, like, a worldwide thing. Yes. And, uh... So, and then Ali uh, ends up... Uh, they, they, you know, the, their champ was supposed to lose. You know... And the original plan was to finish the fight with Ali throwing a punch that would hit the referee, knock him out, and then when he was distracted, Anoki would knock him down with a head kick. The re- then it would referee would count Ali out. And so it would be like, you know, it's like essentially like babyface kind of gets, you know, the the loss, but still, you know, doesn't look bad and whatever, you know, doesn't mm-hmm. take the pin, or, or, you know, in this case, a knockout. You know, it's like a... but. The thing is, um, Ali didn't want to lose. <laughs> <laughs> and now we have a stalemate. Because no one no one wanted to do this. No one wanted to do the job. <laughs> and uh, but, uh, but Anoki said that Ali and his entourage, you know, they've signed on thinking it was an exhibition rather than a real contest. And then they got very scared when they saw Anoki training. <laughs> <laughs> And and Ali said like, "Well, oh, right. So when's the rehearsal?" 
<laughs> and Anoki was like, no, bro, like, ooh, that's not what's going on here. <laughs> and so things got really weird then. So rules got renegotiated. So basically all these restrictions were put on Anoki. Like he couldn't throw him, tackle him, couldn't land any kicks unless he was on the ground. So he had to, like, lay kick off the ground. Basically. And that's what he did. And that's yeah, what off. we did. For anybody who wonders why that fight is basically just Inoki throwing leg kicks at Ali for right. literally the entirety of the fight, there you go. It was, it was Muhammad they, Ali's camp's fault, essentially. Yes. Yeah, they they, they took away every tool Inoki had. Like, he couldn't grapple. Yep. He nope. couldn't fucking hit him with an enzigiri. Like, Inoki's later in life said he regretted not, like, standing with Ali to make yeah. the fight more exciting. Yeah, but, but yeah, you know, he's, um, he basically just did what he knew he would, would be good. And then Ali, you know, during the fight was trying to, like, call him a coward and this and that, you know, kind of still working a little bit. And uh, but he and he didn't deviate from it at all. Inoki didn't care. I, I think I don't think he Inoki understood. I don't know if he understood if Ali, what he was trying to do, or he just said, you know, screw you, I don't care what you're trying to do, and um, and then, oh yeah, at one point, he actually, like, flipped Ali down to the ground, and he grabbed his leg, and and then he just, like, like, just got on top of him, and it just looked really, really bad for Ali. It made him, and Ali, at a point, and he, you know, he was kicking his legs so much that, like, his, basically his, like, legs were, like, bleeding so like crazy and i think it's important to mention that while the joe frazier fights absolutely have an effect on ali long term this that fight's probably what finishes ali did i say no game and ali i'm yeah on yeah fine. this yeah um, that fight I, I, it finished off what was left of him but but by the time we get to the spinks and uh ken Norton fights he was on Spaghetti's den, after the Noki stuff happened. Yeah, it, um, it, it was uh, it was a disaster. Um, really, this was this was just a bad business. I mean, yeah, the money was made, and you know, but it was not good for Ali, man. This this did not do him any good. Uh, he basically kind of fought, you know, what a lot of people thought was a farce, and it and I think it didn't help anyone's reputation and it fucked up uh, uh muhammad ali's you know legs it took his legs out from under him basically uh yeah. his blood vessels were just like shot i mean they i remember reading in the book um it was like basically like afterwards he was like an absolute mess his legs were just a complete mess um it, internal you know injuries to his legs essentially in the blood vessels wow it, and it was really bad he actually had to almost get his leg amputated, apparently. Yes. Yeah, it's because they're due to it. Yeah, it's... blood clots and everything. So, <laughs> like, it's fucked up, man. It, this this was not a good, uh, good ending. But they, they you know, they uh, got became good friends after that, though. And obviously, this was a thing that uh, he, you know, took inspiration from after this. You know, Anoki really. You know, ended up uh, uh, using this in the future, and uh, he actually also fought Leon Spinks uh, later on too. 
and then beat him. Yes. So, so yeah. So you know, he wasn't done here either. And uh, Leon. And where um, do you think Bombayer came from? Sorry. I say. I say. Where do you think the catchphrase Bombayer came from? It came from you know the at the Rumble in the Jungle. Yes. That means it stands for. I think it stands for. I'm gonna kill her and kill you, whatever that meant. That was. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, Isaac. I didn't mean to cut you off, though. What, what were you going to add? Um, well, you know, since I don't know a ton on this age of New Japan, I heard the name Leon Sphinx, and he later became a champion in FMW. And um, yes. <laughs> Onita beat him for the belt. Like, they put yes. the belt on Leon Sphinx, and he was the worst professional wrestler you've ever seen. Well, you can't really call him a professional wrestler, but, oh, he was horrendous. But anyway, go on about other fighters that turned into good um, wrestlers. I think, yeah, I think that this, I think the early stuff, this inspired Enoki to go even more with, even more head-on with the different style fights, which, which fit in with the, the Japan Monica of King of Sports. Right. At that and time. And you see it, uh, you see it throughout the 80s, especially uh, at the end of the Cold War in the late 80s when every Japanese promotion that presented itself even somewhat seriously as being real competition brought in, you know, their, their cavalcade <laughs> of, uh, of Russian wrestlers. Obviously, Zangief and uh, Hashimikov are in the, the tournament at the first Tokyo Dome show. They did Yes, they did a huge summer series of U.S. versus Japan versus Russia uh, themed shows, which is mental to think about. Yes. They would have never done that. He's <laughs> like five years later. Oh my god, comical, comical and wild stuff from Enoki at that time. Um, I think this is. I think this is where the spin off to first in Japan to work with after the. I think they start working with. Sports. Actually, wait. I think they work with Super Sports, then War, and then from War spun off into the UWFI stuff with versus War as well. Actually, which was the last few for that company before they go bye bye. Uh, they started with uh, with WAR. Um, I don't think they had. I, I mean, Tenu might have done some crossover stuff, but I don't think they had any real serious. Yeah. Crossover with SWS. The the WAR stuff, which obviously facilitates Tenu headlining multiple Tokyo Dome shows for them, is kind of where Inoki realizes like there's there's something to like having an outside force come in for our big shows, which of course uh, goes to the UWFI feud, which uh, was horrible for UWFI for a multitude of reasons, mm. but oh also produces three of the highest gates in New Japan history at the time for the three Tokyo Dome shows, the two uh, Muto and Takata matches, and obviously battle formation with uh, Takata and Hashimoto on top. It was a very parasitic uh, relationship, to say the least. I think this is, I think this is where, okay, this is, okay, Tenor, so Tenor will start working Japan shots in 93, and he beat, and during that time, he was, he, I think he was, he, he, he did beat their top guys, including Enoki at the dorm, actually. 
which was yeah, one of he's the last wrestler to um to pin in or uh, not to, well yeah I think he pins Inoki. He's the last wrestler to beat Inoki before Inoki retires though. Yes, and that's hence the Inoki final countdown specials begin afterwards. Jeez. Um, the um the the thing to remember with the UWFI program is that they were they were basically screwed anyway. Yes. Like, yes. They lost Vader. They lost Gary Albright. Their yep. attendances were dwindling. They kept changing the rules, which frustrated fans. Um, they <laughs> were not in a particularly shoot. good. Well, it's, they they had the point system right, and then they yes. mucked about with that, and then they got rid of that, and then they brought it back, oh. and then they got rid of it again. Yeah. Yes. So like they 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 had lost a lot of their uh, their fan base, but they still had Takata. Who in '94 yes. was per capita the biggest draw in the entire wrestling business? Was, now, yes. granted, that's that's skewed because UWFI ran like insanely fewer shows comparative to everybody else in the business. But Takata was a legitimate drawing card, so getting him to the Tokyo Dome with Muto for that farce of a first match <laughs> it, it did where... insane business. I hate that match; it's so bad. Actually, 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 yeah, both were so bad. Mudo in the second one, you could tell he he couldn't give two shits about that match. Literally, <laughs> oh, yeah. he didn't give a fuck. He didn't. He did. He did the least. If you thought, if you think Mudo now was was if Mudo now was zero fucks given. Oh, try ninety six when he got told. Oh, we need you to put over Takata in this match. <laughs> Just. He, he just like okay, no problem. I won't be doing. I'm not going to do anything extra. Even the entrance was. Even the entrance was 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 wacky. Oh <laughs> like he uh, he does the absolute bare minimum in that, and also this um the success of those three Tokyo domes in particular, and the obvious subsequent collapse of UWFI in December of '96. It leads to Anoki being like, we need we need an outside threat for Wrestling World 97, so they get the nascent Big Japan Pro Wrestling. Oh, Wait, Kojika. <laughs> it's Kojika versus Masa Saito, which is one of the funniest matches of all time. Oh I love it. Oh my that. god. <laughs> it, ultra Solis. Ultra, it was it was literally <laughs> ultra if you talk, if you think if you if you if you thought that the Onita stuff from 99, 2000 was, was Ultra Sleeves. 97, Big Japan guys working New Japan dome shots. I still, to this day, can't believe it was a thing that actually happened. Like, it was real. Like, it exists. Like, the... Dog, Great. we got Shoji Nakamaki versus Chono. Versus Chono. <laughs> yeah. Chono. And Chono doing literally shit on the barbed wire spots. <laughs> It's such an insane thing to think about that they were like, "We need, we need an outside company." Well, who do we have? Fucking deathmatch guys. Let's get them. Deathmatch. Ultra. <laughs> the ultra deathmatch no, guys. No, they, no, they, no, not, not Onita and his deathmatch guys. No, fuck them. They, they probably won't lose to us. That company. Yeah, they're like a year old. We're gonna fuck them up. Yeah. Because <laughs> we're the yeah, king of sports. Yeah. What do you people not understand? <laughs> we'll just drain the life force from everybody. <laughs> um, this funny, was just. Um, as an aside, there was a quote on Tiger Mask W about like, "Wow, New Japan is such a generous promotion," and I 
oh. took a screenshot of that and posted it on Twitter. Like, yeah, just ask. And I named off like every promotion they work with. Fucked over. <laughs> it's such a long list. Great, it's such an insanely long list. Dear God, I think I think um, because oh because ninety seven. That's where the following happened. We had Tajiri from Japan actually face off Otani twice. Yep. And then I think yeah, in our uh, best of super juniors that year. Yes. And which Otani had to pull over Tajiri at that in that one. Amazing. <laughs> That's a great match too. That was that yes. was like a that was like a uh, that was a lunch break match for me uh, when I worked at Kroger a couple of years ago. Um, it's also important to mention in the UWI five feud one of the. I don't want to say unintended side effects because you don't poach somebody uh, like without <laughs> intending to, but they got uh, UWFI matchmaker Fumuhiko Uwai who comes into New oh, Japan and. Oh yeah. Also, I don't mean to interrupt you, but like also, I think around this time, uh, doesn't I think Sakuraba comes in and faces Otani as well, right? Yes. Yes. How crazy is that? <laughs> I never seen. I that wrestled match with Tani on the Skydiving J show in uh, June of 1996. It yes. is a fantastic match. Yeah. It was. I and I think if I'm mistaken, um, let me see. Between it was just a like the UWFI stuff. It got, first it started getting exposed when Yoji Angel got beaten up by one of the Gracies in California yeah. in '94. So. <laughs> Yeah, to the point where the foils of him being bloodied, oh, bruised all over, because I think one of the Gracies, he's, he was trying to defend Takata's honor. And his students basically beat Anjo up. Like, they, people say it was Hickson and Anjo one-on-one. Hickson allegedly has a video of it. I don't... Hickson Gracie is not, not a great fighter. I think anybody tell you that just by watching him like who did he who did he really beat right you know but like you don't Hickson's not going to do that kind of damage like that's that's like a gang beating basically <laughs> it was a nation it was like a, it was like a 14 on one beat down it felt like then probably I, I don't know how many people were were purported to have been there but that basically is also it's a good point it's also kind of the catalyst of uh we need to do something to kind of redeem the company. So what are we going to do? Hey, how about Takata loses to a fucking figure four? <laughs> Two, like, more than one, of the, one of the fakest wrestling moves. Let's have the guy who's <laughs> been built for the last, like, five years as the best fighter in the world. Let's have him lose to that. Oh. And, and not just that. Not, not just to a figure four. Let's have him lose it to, like, the fakest of the three top guys in New Japan. <laughs> Let's go. Let's do it. Oh, it's, it's okay. He can and, beat him. He can beat him again in January. Moodle will be completely fine with doing that job. It's okay, guys. No problem. And this is where the, the Japan started sending Chono to put over Anjo in their matches. Oh. Yeah, it's weird. Somebody pointed this out. Anjo is actually the guy with the best winning record from UWFI in that feud, and he's like... That's hilarious. By 95, he's like fifth from the top, probably, if I really thought about it. Oh my god! But yes, so that, but uh, he but he got actual wins over Japan guys, including Chono, which he which he tapped out. Yeah, he tapped him out in the, in the singles match. He uh, and as a side note, Yoji Anjo is a fantastic pro wrestler. Do not do not think that I'm shitting on him when I say he's top. He's like number five in UWFI. 
and he's an ultra, uh, ultra sleaze as a heel. Yeah, he's he's fantastic. He's one of the great like scumbag dickhead heels uh, in the history of <laughs> Japanese wrestling. I think uh, Isaac, were you about to say something? Um, no, just I was, I was just saying, Anjo, Anjo's cool. I like it. <laughs> That's uh, I, I agree. Uh, I I I I'm also wondering. So why did they beat his ass? He okay. So he UWFI was was starting to tank around this time, and Anjo was like, okay, Takata called out Hickson. Hickson didn't want to do a work. I'm going to go to L.A. and challenge Hickson to a fight. Now, Hickson does not know that Yoji Anjo is Yoji Anjo. He thinks Anjo is Takata. Oh. <laughs> oh. Yes. So, yes. <laughs> so, Hickson and probably his students as well beat the shit out of Anjo, oh. thinking that it's Takata, the guy who's been calling him out to do a fake match. Oh, my God. And then, of course, this all culminates in Takata embarrassing the entire country of Japan by losing to fucking Hicks and Gracie on two Pride shows, but that's a story for another day. Oh. Day, and, and hence the inspiration of the Sakura becoming the Gracie Hunter as his gimmick. <laughs> Avenging yeah. Takata's losses. Oh, man. Well, he, he never fought Hickson because Hickson didn't want to do it. And I know Hickson had some things happen in his life around that time. I believe during the uh, the negotiations for a fight with Naoyo Ogawa, Hickson's son died. So oh, things Ogawa. happened that prevented it from ever happening. But, like, Saku would have washed him. And Hickson knows it. The whole Gracie family knows it. Boy, we got to talk Ogawa, though, speaking of that. <laughs> yeah. So here's, okay. here's the part where I go on, like, a mega tangent about this. So oh. in 1997... Naoyo Ogawa, silver medalist from the uh, 1992 Olympics in judo, yeah, is got, brought into New Japan Pro Wrestling. He kind of got uh, run out of judo <laughs> by this time. <laughs> yeah. And also referred to as chicken by the Japanese press because in, a, in the Olympics, as in the highest level of judo competition possible... He only took second place. Like, goddamn, oh, imagine no. that. <laughs> only second? <laughs> yes. Oh. And also, as a fun fact, the guy who beat him is actually uh, an alternate costume for Naoyo Ogawa in the original Virtual Pro Wrestling on N64. Wow. That Common. Is not I always that. wondered why there was a white dude that was Ogawa's third and fourth attires, and then it was explained to me later on. Um, so... He's brought in, and at the time, the top star in New Japan is obviously IWGP heavyweight champion Shinya Hashimoto. Oh. They do a match at, I think it was still called Battle Formation, the uh, the April Dome show in 97, which Ogawa wins, yes. because you're not going to fucking have him lose. They do a rematch with uh, Hashimoto at Wrestling Dentaku for the title. Yeah, Hashimoto wins. Yep, Hashimoto beat him. And yes. it's, I think, the only singles when Hashimoto gets over him. Yes. Yes. He, uh, he being Ogawa, um, he has a match with uh, Kazuo Yamazaki yes. in the interim between wrestling Dentaku and the obvious, what we're about to get to with Hashimoto. He, he, well, he faces and quite Mudo, a few in interesting people. Norton, uh, Brian Johnston from UFC, uh, Don Fry. <laughs> he, he has a little Actually. rough... Actually, Ogawa faced off with Mudo in August of 1997 at the Nagoya Dome. That's right. Yeah, he did. 
And I think Inoki was the actual special referee in that match, actually. When Muta, when the Muda defeated Ogawa with the cross armbreaker due to a ref stoppage to save Ogawa's face from tapping. Of course. The um, obviously that you can't talk Ogawa in New Japan without talking the the January fourth ninety nine incident. Oh and, yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh let boy. Me, let me get some shit out of the way right away with this. <laughs> it was not a fucking shoot. No. Hashimoto knew. And the feeling was that Hosh either cooperates or what the fuck is he going to do? Ogawa could beat the shit out of him if he wanted to. Right. Right. And it's important to know that, like, there's, there's, so, much, there's so much context to provide here. Inoki was just launching UFO, which was a shoe fighting organization that was going to basically have, like, I don't want to say indie fighters from Japan, but guys like Kazunari Murakami, who right. obviously comes into New Japan, um, he was one of the... One of the first big ones that I remember um, Inoki having, other than obviously Ogawa. And Inoki wanted to have New Japan cooperation. And if you read the observers from the time, Meltzer spotted it as a work immediately. Um, Choshu basically publicly says, we're not going to fucking... Or it might have been Fujinami. One of those two says, we're not going to fucking have anything to do with UFO. And they have the match at the Dome. Now, this entire angle is threefold. Choshu, who had retired in 98, wants a hot angle to eventually return on. Mm. Yes. Choshu wants Kensuke Sasaki to be the top guy in New Japan. He can't do that if Hashimoto's still the man. Yeah. Right. And third, this accomplishes the goal of integrating UFO into New Japan. Yes. So on January 4th, 1999, uh, Naoya Ogawa and Shinya Hashimoto have a match that people, again, to this day, still think was a shoot. It wasn't. It wasn't even... I've seen people call it a double cross. A double cross implies that the other guy doesn't know. fucking know. Yeah. Yeah. Hashimoto knew. And again, the feeling was either he's going to cooperate or Ogawa's just going to beat the shit out of him. It, it, it doesn't really matter. He's not going to be able to do anything about it. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to get to the same fucking place either way. Right. So they do the match, and I think it's... I, it might actually be rule of no contest. I don't remember the official... There's no contest. Yes. Yes, it was. There's no contest, and this was coming after. This was the tail of three matches, obviously. First, it was Nagai who beat Dave Benatore with David Benatore, Town, then Don Fry defeating Brian Johnston <laughs> in the previous batch. This the Nagai the versus Hashimoto no contest was a was planned, obviously, because they wanted yeah. something to build back on. And hence it's integrating to acknowledge UFO. the post match on this too. Yes. Because Ogawa famously does the Eugene airplane run. <laughs> I've always thought it was really funny. Uh, and but, here, here's another thing to let you know it's a work. He stays in the ring, cuts a fucking promo. Choshu comes in the ring, runs through the UFO guys, and slaps Ogawa in the face. Yeah. Yes, this is this is 100 percent a shoot. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sounds like something Choshu was... would write. <laughs> It was such it was such a shoot. In October nineteen ninety nine, they bring this match Again. back to yep. close out the Tokyo Dome with the farming. Right. For, for the entry world title, the title, the revenge. Ogawa got hit beat Hashimoto via rest stoppage. Yep. <laughs> it's also important to note after the January fourth match, 
um, they did a press conference about it, like, immediately, like, the next day, which, as Dave says in The Observer, lets you know this is a complete work. Like, there's zero chance it's a shoot. They do the match in October. Obviously, Ogawa retains the NWA title. He's maybe maybe the most batshit insane NWA champion ever. Like, you just look at the title history, and it's, it's, just wild. it's him. Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, yeah. obviously, this leads back to January 4th, 2000, and one of the greatest tag matches in the history of pro wrestling, as Hashimoto oh. teams with Takashi Izuka against uh, Naoya Ogawa and the Lord himself, Kazunari Murakami. This is, this is an absolutely um, insane match. I, it's, it's incredible. Legitimately amazing. To the point, to the point, Izuka choke the shit out of Murakami, put him to sleep, he just choked that man out. Iazuka was and a bad, bad man. Hashimoto and Ogawa are brawling on the floor. I, we can't do this match justice with words, and unfortunately, they don't put Ogawa's matches on New Japan World. It used to be on Daily Motion. If you can find it on there, I implore you to watch it. It's one of those. Oh, I know why they don't. Because Ogawa owns, he yes. owns his likeness. And if New Japan were to put up any of his matches up on there, Made. they would have to pay him extra for it. Hence the, oh, hence the um, you, you he's not up there. He's not on the Japan world. That's why. He also why. told them never to use his footage again, which is kind of funny. Um, <laughs> this match has one of my favorite like '80s New Japan tropes, where like two minutes in, shit hits the fan. Yeah. They stop the match. Inoki restarts it. They go, I think, like another eight. This is like, if you find the full match on Daily Motion, it's like an eighteen-minute video, yeah. and like eleven minutes of it is the match. Yeah, because Murakami just guarantee- nails Iazuko with that freaking kick. Yeah, Murakami is maybe the greatest untrained wrestler in the history of wrestling. Oh yeah. <laughs> like I, I know, I know. If we have that discussion, somebody could probably mention Kenny Omega, but no, no, it's Murakami. <laughs> so. <laughs> That was April 2000, which um, I was actually talking to Lawrence about this uh, before we went on the air on on Discord. Um, Hashimoto and Ogawa is shown live. It's watched by something like like 32 million people. It's some astronomical, insane number. Oh, my God. But it's, it's... one of those things where the TV rating is misleading because they draw like thirty-five thousand to the dome. Right. Yes. And as you get into <laughs> the early two thousands, you'll have cases where the dome number is not impressive, but they do a ridiculous rating on TV, or the dome number is impressive, but the TV rating sucks. Yes. We'll obviously and, get and into they that. Claim, uh, and it claimed that um, that it was sixty thousand super no vacation, no no vacancy, whatever. At yeah, that time, they, regardless of what they actually drew, they always tried to claim fifty five or more, right? Because it's yes. the perception thing; nobody else can do it, and uh, all Japan obviously finds that out in two thousand and one. But um, that April two thousand dome show is. It's headlined by the Hashimoto-Ogawa match, where the stipulation is, if Hashimoto loses, yeah. he has to retire, and he loses. Yeah, he, also uh, on that show... Mm-hmm. He gets dusted pretty... Uh, with <laughs> S- 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 SEO's galore. 
it's it's a great match. Don't don't mistake what we're saying. It's a fantastic yeah, match. Yeah, but... I just wanted yeah. to actually just reiterate that this whole series of matches with with Hash and Ogawa is fucking amazing. Regardless of whatever you know, what you know, talking about the, real, was... the realness factor or whatever, they're they're amazing matches. Like they need to be seen. It, to worked, be it worked. It worked to the point where when Hashimoto left to form Zero One, which it by itself was, which we'll get to in a, in a while, he, he came took, with him. He came with him, and actually yeah. they, they became a super mega tag team in now, Zero One. Now, uh, do you remember who they beat to get the tag team titles? Oh my god, I think it was had to, it had to be Carino. No. You're not going to believe oh, this. Shit. Oh my god! It, it was gone. It was John Heidenreich and Nathan Jones. Oh my god! <laughs> zero. Listen, zero one. It, it, one of these. We oh. that should be. Um, it was the show. The early shows of zero one. It was a special breed of LSD would fly over these anime shoot fighters. Oh, by the way. It's like crackhead booking, really, is what it is. Yeah, yeah. it's incredible. Some of these Zero One cards are just, like, absolute batshit insanity. The second Zero One pay-per-view is headlined by Ogawa and Murakami versus Rikio and Misawa. Yes, which is one of the greatest tag matches of all time. You're you're going to hear me say that about a lot of matches that involve Murakami and or Ogawa, but that match is insane. <laughs> there is a point where Ogawa shoot punches Rikio in the face, and Rikio just stands there like I can't feel anything, dog. Let's go. <laughs> but um, they eventually was... do get to the uh, the Choshu and Ogawa match. It's a little bit later down the line. But um, later on in 2000, obviously, like a month after, two months after, um, the April Dome show, something uh, kind of massive happens in Japanese wrestling, which is um, basically the entire All Japan Pro Wrestling roster departs to form Pro Wrestling Noah. They leave, I think, mm-hmm. three people and on Ju- the roster. Yeah. I think Kawada and Fuchi were the only ones yes. that stayed. Yeah. They were the only natives that stayed, yeah. And... Um, New Japan kicks off the interpromotional era by sending Chono to wrestle Fuji. But the big one, and this is a match that a lot of people love. Like it's not it's not an unknown match, but the significance of it I think is is very much downplayed. Uh do judge October, I believe, the eighth. Yes, two thousand. Uh the main um, event is then IWGP heavyweight champion Kensuke Sasaki against Toshiaki Kawada. Now, the important thing for people to remember is that All Japan had bolstered their ranks a bit in the wake of the departure, for lack of a better term, of everyone who would go on to form NOAA. But this was really the ace, like the de facto ace of a promotion that did not have a full roster defeating the top star in Japan at the Tokyo Dome. And it was a brilliant move because Kensuke then vacates the title to have a tournament at the Tokyo Dome mm-hmm. on January 4th, 2001, where Kensuke obviously beats Kawada in the final. And they did, they claimed 62,001 fans, get it, 2001. Wait, wait. Oh my God. Yeah, it's, it's very surface level. 
Yes. Uh, <laughs> I I think the real number for that came out as being like forty five thousand, which that's yeah. still nothing to nothing sneeze to at. at. Yeah. <laughs> like especially I... consider nine months earlier in that building, they drew thirty five thousand for Hashimoto versus Ogawa. Wow. Um. I I think that I think in that, in that show it, it it had Kawada versus Ting, versus um Ting Koji matches that were actually show stealers to the point Kawada versus by the time we get to Kensuke versus Kawada two which it, I think it was like the it was the third best match it actually it was sub fifteen minutes the final. Yeah, it lost. Excellent. It lost something because it had to be like a one night tournament final. The October match is significantly longer. Um, Kawada versus Tenzan on that show is one of my favorite Tokyo Dome matches of all time. It's on New Japan World. You should watch it if you're listening to this and you haven't seen it. Um, yes, they run a co-promoted Budokan show with All Japan in June of 2001. And, and yes. I know people want to hear about the the shooters, and here it comes. Uh, the main event of the show is Kazuyuki Fujita defending his IWGP title against Yuji Nagata in a match that is basically the very definition of what Inoki wanted wrestling to be. Yes, It is very stiff. It's yes. two guys with legitimate backgrounds having a legitimate-looking contest. It's Obviously, there's some stuff that looks worked, but it still looks uh, several magnitudes more real than anything you're going to see now. Um, or really, in like the following five years in japan um it's it's a very it's a very believable match yes and it's it's on new japan world for sure um Mm -hmm. the gata in general just had a lot of these during this period of time yeah his entire title reign which we'll get to in a minute uh is basically full of these matches um it's important to note that kazuki fujita he is not an MMA guy that they brought in. He is no. a New Japan true born. He, yep. he went through the dojo. He is a guy that, even if he wasn't legitimate enough to do MMA, like say, say he fought in the 2000 Pride Grand Prix and got dust, yeah. doesn't matter. He was still going to be a top star. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize that, too, about him. He had the look. He, he, yeah. he, he, he had the look that Inoki wanted at that time, and did, it, didn't, it also didn't hurt that when he did those shoot fights, he looked credible in such shoot fights. Matter of fact, I think his two his two his two IGP reign, Pitar reigns came due to the shoot fighting stuff. The um and, the fact that he beat Ken Shamrock and Mar- the Shamrock fight is funny because. I'm assuming yeah. a lot of people don't know the story. Shamrock's corner throws in the towel because Ken thinks he's having a heart attack. Legend has oh. it the night before. Ken was out with some people, and he had been doing a lot of drugs that he oh. snored through your nose. Okay. Oh, my God. <laughs> he, he Ken Shamrock may be the only fighter to ever lose to Kazuyuki Fujita via possible cocaine overdose is all I'm going to say. Wow. Um, yes. He also beat Mark Kerr in the 2000 Pride Grand Prix, I'm fairly certain. And then he he doesn't last very long. I think he fights Mark Coleman in the next round. But his um, his first title reign is basically, he had a really good 2000 uh, in terms of MMA. So he comes back in. And, and here's also another thing to consider. Um, 
he's part of what is called the Inoki Army because again, we need an outside entity to fight New Japan Pro yes. Wrestling to prove that yes. New Japan is the strongest. So Fujita takes the title. He's champion until January o two, and actually October. October. No, he's, actually, he's champion until January because he vacates the belt due to an injury. Oh. Oh, that's right. And, the timing of the injury is convenient because it's right around the time Nagata gets knocked out by Crow Cop. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> There's an argument to be made that the injury may not... And Fujita returns well ahead of when he should have for an Achilles tendon injury. So it's one of those things where you can kind of... You can kind of... Yeah. Right. Um, so since I brought it up, we might as well talk about Crow Cop Nagata. Hmm. Uh, Nagata gets hit by a high kick. He's not knocked out. He's recovering by the time they stop the fight. And then four days later, because they need a new Tokyo Dome main event, he loses to Junakiyama. What people aren't going to tell you is that he's still widely supported by the fans in the match with Akiyama. Yep. It was probably a bad idea to have him headline the Dome and lose, but he was still... Um, he was still old. Yeah. He, he was very popular. He was still right. Yeah. And in fact, actually, if you think about it, like, you think about it. Yuji Nagata became. I know people Dallas say all oh, his title run did not is didn't mean anything, but it actually meant that, something. That, I can't because, believe people would say that. Well, he, well here, here's the thing: a lot of people don't consider uh, the Yasuda match, the first one, the one where Yasuda yeah. beats him in the tournament final. Yeah. Um, the Forgotten Nokia blog, which I don't remember the exact URL for I, right I now. Have, I have I have it up actually <laughs> here. <laughs> um. Yasuda wins that match because he had a successful fight on the same Inoki Bombaye show where Nagata loses to Crow Cop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the next month, obviously, Nagata beats him for the belt and embarks on, at the time, the most title defenses ever in one reign. Yes. And yes. if you look at the guys that he wrestled, the first mm-hmm. defense is against Takayama, who in the previous year had gone freelance and fought MMA. Yeah. Uh, that was that was a big show at the Tokyo Dome. I believe that's a legitimate sellout. Obviously, they had the Chono and Misawa dream match on that. And the Thunderbird in. It's a case where they did amazing live, but they did a bad TV rating for the live special because the live TV special was built around our buddy Naoyo Ogawa teaming with our other buddy, Shinya Hashimoto, <laughs> to wrestle uh, Tenzan and Scott Norton. Which, by the way, is a great match. You should find it. Uh, it's fantastic. Um, but if you look at Nagata's reign, he wrestles Boss Rutan. He wrestles Kasunari Murakami. He wrestles Yasuda again. He wrestles Josh Barnett at the Tokyo Dome. He, re- he loses the belt to Takayama on the one-year anniversary of their initial classic at the Tokyo Dome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he headlines the Dome against Fujita in October. In Well, technically, they're the main event, but the actual draw is Bob Sapp versus Nakanishi. Again, you should watch that. Um, But he finally gets his win for Fujita, and that match is a classic. I'm not sure. It's probably on New Japan World. They they have the first Nagata-Fujita match. They probably probably have the one Nagata actually wins, too. But that is a... All of those matches you mentioned are are absolutely fantastic. This whole Nagata yeah. run is just ridiculous. I mean, the the Yasuda match is insane. The the Murakami Bloody. match is absolutely just batshit crazy. I mean, that is like yes. one of the most batshit crazy matches I've ever seen in my life. It's well, one of the matches that you could show somebody who's never seen Murakami and they'd immediately think he's an all-time great. He is 
unreal in that dangerous human being. And actually, (laughs) actually, some of Nagala's best stuff happened to come after the Tara run. He had the Kensuke feud, which provided tons of capsulated blood in the, in the matches. To the point, Tokyo Dome in 04, it was soaked in Nagata and Kensuke's blood. Due to the yeah, their, their rematch in October is insanely bloody, too. They, um... <laughs> That, that's also something that should probably be discussed on a later episode, the whole Kensuke splitting from uh, New Japan thing. Um, but the idea that Nagata wasn't a star after Krokop knocked him out because Inoki booked him against Krokop because Inoki's a madman is insane. Nagata headlined, what was it, one, two, three, like four Tokyo Dome shows? Afterwards. Champions. Yeah, yes. all of which did well. The, you can, again, argue the Takayama defense was on a show that was actually drawn by Shono Misawa, but they drew they drew reasonably well for the Fujita match in October. The Barnett one, people are going to argue about what the actual paid number was. I will say this, whatever you see certain corners of Twitter arguing the paid number really was, it wasn't. Um, I'm probably going to shock a lot of people with what I say about some of the later stuff, um, like 03 and 04. But um, Nagata still was put in a position to become, like... The man. Yes. Yeah, one of the biggest stars of the era. Meanwhile, in earnest, uh, the apex of his 2002, Shinsuke Nakamura has a somewhat competitive fight against Daniel Gracie. Oh, yeah. Yes. And if you want to talk about Anoki being a madman, this is probably the big one. This is the uh, big one. Because <laughs> as we get to 2004, I'm going to talk a little bit more about uh, Fumuhiko Uwai, who I mentioned earlier. But at the end of 2003, uh, Hiroyoshi Tenzan had just won the G1, finally. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. He'd been, he'd been a guy... his head. You could really, yeah, that's yeah, that was a, a questionable haircut. Very weird. Oh hair God, he shaved the mullet. Yeah, before the G, and that was after this was coming after he lost to Takayama in June, and he decided, oh, I have to go overseas to Canada under Tokyo Joe. I come yeah. back with a new finish, the Anaconda Vice. I think everyone in mom has copied Anaconda. That's that's some powerful shit. One of the yes. hundred moves that CM Punk stole from Japan. Yeah. <laughs> you know, shit happens in wrestling. Um, the thing the thing tends on is he finally wins the G one after he was in the final in like '97 against Kensuke. Um, yes, he's finally G one winner. He gets the match with Takayama. He beats Takayama for the belt. People had literally been waiting years for this. And one month later, he loses to Shinsuke Nakamura in yeah. one of the most baffling booking decisions, decisions. ever. Yes. Yeah. It, it's and crazy how one... it happens, too. The match is very... I just watched this, like, like, like really, really short amount of time ago. It, it's just really crazy. It literally happens out of nowhere. Um, I mean, Tenzan basically kicks yeah. his ass throughout the whole entire match. And then yeah. all of a sudden Nakamura like is able to snatch him in like the triangle and like transition it into like a, a an arm bar while while Tenzan like still standing up and he taps him out like immediately and yes. it's like it's over and people are just stunned. I mean like, like what? 
is just like stunned at like, what what's just occurred. Like they almost like that's nothing. That's nothing. Then a month, then less than a month later, he unifies the NWF title by defeating Takayama at the Tokyo Dome. And it's basically a similar type match to the Tenzon match where Takayama takes. I mean, the finish literally comes off the Everest German suplex and Nakamura gets him in a double wrist lock. And here's the important thing to consider about Nakamura, especially in this era, is he is very much a part-time wrestler. He vacates yeah. the title due to injury in February, what oh, the injury actually entails. Story of his next, like, several years of his career, and probably the rest of his yes. career, to be honest. <laughs> he, um, he vacates the belt, which leads to a tournament where Nagata is actually booked to win, but Tenzon knocks him out with a moonsault. Tenzon yes. faces the final oh, against God. Tenyu in a fucking bloodbath, an amazing match. Yes. It's on world. You should watch it. There's a yes. theme here. Um, Tenzon gets the belt for like a month and loses it to <laughs> Kensuke Sasaki. And I, you know oh. what? Actually, because we're gonna we're gonna have to talk about oh. Kensuke's title loss, we might oh. as well talk about this right now. Kensuke departs New Japan in 2002, Four? late 02, oh, early 03. Oh, no, the first time, yeah. The end of 2002. For, uh, World yeah, Japan. Japan. Oh, yeah, World Japan. Oh, oh boy. Wait, hold and, on. Uh, when he comes back in 2004, there's a lot of resentment towards yep. Kensuke Sasaki in the locker room. The, the, the entire idea of the Nagata match is that Nagata did not want Kensuke back in New Japan, and... They basically have Kensuke do a job as a concession to Nagata, like, okay, I'll be a good boy. I'm, I'm back. And then two months later, Nagata's not the IWGP champion, but Kensuke Sasaki is. Now, oh. Kensuke wins the belt, I believe, on March 12th. On March, March 21st. I think, 20th. Was it 21st? Yeah, March 21st. Uh, then, he, then he lost, then he loses the belt to Bob Saf on May the, on, on the 28th, less than a week later, actually. Yeah, well, Sasaki winning the title was funny for the, that whole Fujita controversy is something else. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm going to talk sure. about that. But, now, um, this is where Kensuke, before he came back, Choshu, he took the following people with him to go to the former water pan. It was Kensuke, um, Tiger, Hattori, the referee, he went. He followed him out the door too, um, and I think. He, oh, and Kenzo Suzuki. Kenzo, yeah. Yeah, and there's another. There, there, did you guys talk about the Kenzo Suzuki rookie scandal? Yes. The, uh, yeah, okay. A little bit. Okay. Well, I I didn't listen to that episode, but let me tell you right now, it wasn't Kenzo Suzuki. It was Kensuke Sasaki. Anyway. Yeah. Kind of figured. Can't figure that out. <laughs> Kensuke beats um, Bob Sapp for the belt. I'm sorry, Bob Sapp beats Kensuke for the belt. Uh, it's been a day. Um, Bob Sapp is another one of the like oh, things yes. people love to rally against with uh, New Japan in this era. Bob Sapp, this can't be understated, was a massive draw. Yeah. Wow. Bob, Bob Sapp can be rallied against in many other ways, but as a wrestling draw, yeah, no. That's... He, he drew people. It was to the point where back in 2002, he actually defeated Muda in the in the Wrestle One show. Muda pulled him over in their and match. Also, uh, the Nakanishi match um, was one of the, it was basically the, as I mentioned earlier, it was the big draw for the October 2 Tokyo Dome show. The thing that people kind of, the thing that puts a, uh, a black eye on the Bob Sapp reign to me and to basically everybody who's ever looked at the IWGP title history 
is he vacates the belt in June, and there's a reason for this. He fights Fujita um, on a K one, and Fujita beats his ass. So when they asked him to lose a work match to Fujita, Bob Sapp was like, "No, you guys can you guys can have me win." And they were like, "No, no, 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 no. You got to lose. Lose to Fujita now. You you have to." And Sapp vacated the belt. Now oh. this is where we're going to get into talking about Fumihiko Uwai. Inoki loved him. Uh, he was basically made the head booker. He is the guy that you should actually be mad at for all the wackiness involving the MMA fighters because Inoki let him kind of run wild. Um, they had similar philosophies as to what wrestling should be, and I think Uwai leaned really heavily into Inoki's tendencies of, yeah, let's let's fucking book Nagata against Krokop. Goddamn, pal. Let's do it. Let's and, go for it. And uh, obviously the next year. God damn, pal. Let's, yeah, yeah, Fedor, fuck it. Let's do it again. Nagata's got to win one of these, god damn it. Let's, let's put him in the ring with Fedor. And then that Fedor. that one actually goes as badly as people think the Crow Cop fight did. But um, <laughs> Uwai was was kind of a, this should just be called Uwaiism, not Enochiism. Fuck. Um that, that's the plot twist in this episode, I guess. Uh, 2004 New Japan was was kind of sabotaged in a way by UI. Uh, Fujita wins the belt again. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's an UI <clears throat> booking decision. Yes. And uh, Fujita beats Tanahashi to win the belt. He beats Shibata in his first yep. defense of the belt. Fujita misses the G1 because he's got better shit to do, <laughs> I guess. Of course. And then in October, <clears throat> the famous match with Kensuke Sasaki. Now, if people look at this, they'll just like, oh, it, ha- it was a two-minute match. Okay. They probably did something crazy. Here's the finish of this match. Kazuki <laughs> Fujita has Kensuke Sasaki in a rear naked choke. Yes. Kensuke Sasaki gets choked the fuck out. Fujita is laying flat on his back. The referee counts three. Uh, Kensuke Sasaki wakes up and is now the IWGP heavyweight champion. And Fujita, and my favorite thing that Fujita probably ever did, fucking shoot kicking people in the head, no. No, no, no. Fujita is on the apron, and he's just like, yeah, fuck it, I don't care. He just leaves the ring. Literally just... He he could not give any less of a shit about about losing that belt. So... Kensuke felt, like, so embarrassed. Like, it was just so... such an embarrassing, like, thing for him. Yeah, it was. And, and actually, in wrestling history, if I'm being honest, because like, like honestly, Fujita just basically tanked him in like one spell swoop, and and the crowd didn't even like take him seriously for the rest of this like reign. And then Kensuke jumps the belt to Tenzan uh, in December. <laughs> Not right. uh, he got one defense and over oh, yeah. Tanahashi. Uh, then he put, we he, have he faced Minoru Suzuki too, to right? Yeah, he does at the Osaka Dome. Yeah, we have, I, I have to, oof. I have to launch into a diatribe about both of those shows now because oof. I think this this basically kind of wraps up the uh, no, well some stuff in 05, and we got to talk about Brock obviously because oh yeah, there, there's not, oh, there's not a subsection of Twitter that's going to go nuts if I don't talk about Brock Lesnar, and that's that's another tangent. Bear with me. There's a lot of stuff to talk about. So Fumihiko mm-hmm. again is matchmaker. He's Basically, the, the Choshu has some influence on booking. Inoki, obviously, it's his company. But Uwai is basically left to his own devices. Oh, they have boy. the Masahiro Chono 20th anniversary show. And a week out, there was no announced card. That's a problem. 
This is yep. bit of a problem. Uh, they have an Osaka Dome show, like, right after that. A week out, there's no card. Now, you're trying to sell no out the Osaka Dome. It's 40,000 seats. That's a pretty big fucking problem. At this mm-hmm. point, there had been a bit of a groundswell in New Japan. Like, we, we need to fucking do something about this. Like, like we, we can't keep doing this. We can't keep papering Sumo Hall. We can't the, keep papering. The crowd, papering noise, the, crowd the, noise, the crowd noise on this show is the silence is deafening. Yeah. It's, well, it, on the Chomo Anniversary show, they really get into the, the Kensuke Tanahashi match. That's also a fantastic match. No idea if it's on New Japan World. Yeah. But um, the, the idea was, and this is, this is, I think, the part that is probably going to shock the people who have seen me argue so vehemently for this era of wrestling. Um, they did paper the shit out of practically every show. New Japan in 2003 and 2004 was not as popular as if you look at the attendance numbers it's not as popular as you would think mm. Ten thousand um, people more like it was five thousand oh, to be quite honest oh not five it's probably like sixty four hundred or seven thousand but it's it's one of those things where it's like you look at like they claimed i i, I don't even remember what the exact number they claim for the 04 dome is but again it's like probably 35 legit yeah. Um, which is still, Ooh. I mean, by modern standards, that's a fucking phenomenal. Like we're we're throwing a party in the street <laughs> if, if New Japan does thirty five thousand. I mean, they did forty on night one this year, yeah. and that was amazing. I was super happy to see that. Um, but they had been papering attendances. They had been dealing with like cards being basically rebooked at the last minute. There was a lot of. We didn't even talk about the Makai Club. I'll talk about them in a minute. Oh um, yeah, because they're they're oh, like boy. ever. But they had basically gotten to the point where it's like, why can't fucking be Booker anymore? Like, you can't, we need Choshu back. We can't, we can't go on having last minute cards. And they got him the fuck out. Yeah. And uh, 2005, I'll, I'll try to get through this quickly. Your MMA fighter involvement is minimum, especially, or minimal, rather, especially compared to 04. Yep. So Kusaka comes back for a brief program, puts over Yuji Nagata in the end. And then in the summer of 2005, it is made known that New Japan Pro Wrestling is the new exclusive home of Brock Lesnar. This is an Inoki. 100%. It's Inoki. But it was also brokered by uh, Brad Renegans, who had partially trained Brock Lesnar, had been, I, I think he might have still been the Gaijin booker for New Japan at that point, which explains why Scott Norton's still getting tours in 2005. <laughs> <laughs> it, I think it was him and Masa, and Masa Saido, actually. Because yeah. Saido was what still a- involved in the company, and him and Ringers are still best friends from the AWA days. So that's so hence the Bronco popping up there by default. Of <laughs> Uh, no, it, it was it also, after. Explains, uh, it also explains Brock doing the Beast in the East show in 2015. He also, because he went over mostly to visit Masa Saito, yes. he just took a day because he could. Um, the Brock Lesnar run has been maligned by a lot of people. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think people tend to take New Japan's side on this. They owed Brock Lesnar 25 grand. They had jerked Ooh. him around the entire time he worked for the company. 
Yes. I'm, I'm one of the biggest Brock Lesnar fans you're going to meet. I don't blame him for saying, fuck you, you don't get your belt back. And here's the thing. He wasn't mad at Inoki. He clearly wasn't because he worked the first IGF show and dropped that belt to Kurt Angle. Right. He was mad that he basically went into like great financial expense to get out of his contract so he could wrestle for New Japan. And, they and then they dicked him around. Him the and they, just, they skipped him on the pay. No matter the fact, Brock Asher, it was, the, it was to the point where... They and the thing was, this was coming. It was stemming from when New Japan did the whole G One, where Cass when when went unbeaten throughout the entire tournament over, let's say, while well, over, let's say, Kawada, yeah, Chono, the semifinal. He loses to Chono in the final, which was to set up the October two thousand five Tokyo Dome main event. But yes. Kaz Fujita being Kaz Fujita, there's, there's got to be there's got to be some bullshit involved. So <laughs> he, um, Brock, Brock gets added. Uh, Fujita drops the fall to Chono because he doesn't want to lose to Brock for whatever fucking reason. Brock beats Chono. And the January 4th, 06 main event was supposed to be Fujita versus Lesnar for the title. Uh, Fujita basically said, I'm not losing to him. him. Fuck him. Fuck out of here. We know what happened then. <laughs> <laughs> and we got Brock Lesnar going over Shinsuke Nakamura. Now, people, another thing people need to consider is while Inoki probably did a significant part of brokering the deal with Brock, he also was mostly out of power by the time Brock actually debuts. He had sold the majority stake to Ukes. Yep. Uh, Simon Inoki was put in his place. Simon yes. uh, bombed badly to the point. To the point where Chono ended up replacing him, and then Chono did not it's know where he was bombed badly as well. To the point where Choshu ended up replacing him. Oh, always comes back to Choshu. <laughs> We're getting way ahead of ourselves with this. Um, to, to put a put a bow on the Brock Lesnar thing, so I can ramble for fifteen minutes about the Makai Club. Um, Brock leaving is also what coincides with Simon leaving. By that point, Antonio Inoki was already out of the uh, was out of the company. A lot of people want to put everything that happened with Brock on Antonio, and it's you you can't. If you want to blame somebody there, it's it's Simon. And, and Simon. I know it's going to sound like I'm scapegoating Inoki because like, well, no, it was really UI. Well, no, it was really Simon. People assume it was Inoki because he's the founder of the company. He. He wasn't. He's not Vince McMahon. He didn't micromanage every aspect of his company. Right. He put right. he put people in charge that he thought could carry out his vision, and then he was the public figurehead. So obviously, he's going to take some of the flack. But that o two o three o four era was UI really heavily leaning into the. We actually have real fighters who are popular over here now. We're the king of sports. Let's. That's what I mean. Go with it. It, it. it also feeds into Inoki again, feeling like we're going to draw if we have an outside force attacking New Japan. The problem is, mm-hmm. in 01, the uh, team Inoki never really actually lost like any right. significant matches. Uh, the Inoki yeah. army in 02 didn't lose any significant matches. Nope. <laughs> uh, I mean, Fujita lost to Nagata. There's one. That's like it. That's it, yeah. yeah. Like, the idea that they put the actual fighters over has merit, but people act like it was up and down the card everywhere. It, it didn't happen like that. You can go back and look at the, the results. It doesn't 
actually doesn't match. <laughs> and also, if you hate Enochiism and love Minoru Suzuki, I hate to tell you Suzuki <laughs> was brought back because he was an MMA fighter. Yep. So there's that. that too. Hindquest days. And speaking of the, if you hate Enochiism and love this guy, let's talk about Katsuyori Shibata and the mm-hmm. Makai Club. Now, oh, a lot of people don't know yeah. this about that stable. Um, pro Wrestling Makai Club is basically Pro Wrestling Hell Club. They're a stable of dudes who, and I didn't know this for years after the fact, their entire gimmick is they worshipped Enoki. Yes. Yeah. That was the, that's, that was the, that was the, they were seen as the junior the, the the B side to the Noki Army, in which, like, Hoshino, actually, yeah, Hoshino, yeah, was who was a, a, a Noki loyalist, who has been there since day one, yep. hence the connection with, hence the, the hence the Shibata connection, and Shibata <laughs> following him, uh, turning heel, kind of on, on, yes, <laughs> yes. Feels like if I think, yeah, I feel like Makai Cub, the Makai Cub, they, I think they had oh what ten members at one point. So the yeah the it, members it the, to count like the satellite members of the group, yeah, but the like entire Shamrock. group is that. Yeah, he wrestles Josh Barnett on a Tokyo Dome show. It's not a good match. Um, <laughs> oh. the, the idea of the Makai Club was it, it's mostly pro wrestlers who have like. Yeah, shoot back up. They also had Murakami. They also had uh, yeah. Yeah, Nagasawa was in the group. Yep. Yep. Um, it was it was basically a group of shooters that could actually lose because they weren't like Murakami. Clearly didn't give a fuck about doing a job. Yeah, Mitsugi also didn't really give a job. <laughs> None of those guys cared. Like it was it was a way to feed your roster quote real fighters without having to be like hey. Hey, Cass Fujita, you want to you wanna just come over here real quick and fucking lose to Nakamura? Right. <laughs> want to just put him over real quick in his debut? No, you don't want to lose to him in his debut? Okay. Yasuda, you're in. Let's do it. Yeah. Like, like you said, like, Enoki was always a believer in the outside force coming in. It, that's, it's he, been that he, way he, since 1972. Right. Yeah. If, you, if he didn't have an outside force, like, if he didn't have UWFI, if he didn't have Big Japan, if he didn't have All Japan... If he didn't, like, he literally makes it with UFO. He literally makes it with right. Team Inoki. He literally follows it up with the Inoki Army. He literally follows that up with the Makai Club. Like, if he did not have the outside threat, and they even work with Pro Wrestling Noah during that time, but that's that's not, that's that's a different kind of working agreement. That's a different kind of... Yes. Yeah. If we ever if we ever do one of these ramble fests about the interpromotional era, I'll come back and just kind of lay that out. But, um... Mm-hmm. Inokiism... That era of wrestling can literally just be boiled down to Inoki saw the business the UWFI angle did and repeatedly tried to recreate it. Yes. He was finally like crazy. A matchmaker who was more than content to lean into that, like like, hey, we can we can get Bob Sapp, the the biggest guy in draw in Japan at this point. You wanna you wanna bring him in? Yeah, just fucking put him in the Nakanishi. It's, it'll it'll be great. <laughs> oh, he he can come back and work Penske, give him the belt. Fuck it. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> like they they again. They just rep. They tried to replicate that UWFI angle to the point that like th- there was obviously always going to be diminishing returns because when your home team doesn't win, and that's the key. That's the key to the UWFI angle that that none of the other angles except for like that brief bit with All Japan had. You have mm-hmm. to fucking have your guy win in the end. 
Just, yeah, just ask Eric Bischoff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, he ripped off the UWFI angle and didn't didn't take the most important lesson from it. That fucking <laughs> your home Nick. team has to eventually vanquish the threat. Like they they figured yes. that out. Hashimoto was the biggest draw they had. Yeah. He has to beat Takata. Hashimoto's the guy that's been portrayed as the the fight. His nickname is literally Hakayo, King of Destruction, Destruction King. However you want to phrase mm-hmm. that. Like he's he's the guy to beat Takata, and then. He beats Ogawa for the title, or in the title match the next year, and then they obviously they, they replicate that UWFI angle, but don't nobody ever fucking beat Ogawa. Oh. Again, um, that era of wrestling gets remembered for a lot of the really... And, and there's absolutely valid points. Like, it was a mistake to do what they did to Hashimoto. Yes. But mm-hmm. if they didn't do that, Kensuke Sasaki would have never been the top guy. He would have never been the draw that he became. Right. Everybody loves that Kobashi and Kensuke match, right? What does that match mean if Kensuke doesn't have a monster run at the top of New Japan? It's not, not as much. It's not. It's, it's not. And not just that, but not just that top one, but then Kens then um with um with the the revamp of the UDFI feud angle stuff, I think what happened was what I'm happening was New Japan and Noki and UI, they forgot that they need to put over their ace at the end, at the end of this. Yeah. I mean, they, they do it with Nagata to an extent, but he still loses to Takayama, who's an outsider. Right. And then they have Tenzan beat the outsider for the title. And then, then immediately for <laughs> Nakamura cuts him out. Yeah. Three weeks later. I think, I think that era. Um, I think when people talk about the booking of that era, they have... Because, I mean, I just laid it out over the last... What is it, like an hour and a half now? Yeah. Um, th- there were a lot of very questionable booking decisions. Yeah. For every cool. for every Kawada over Kensuke to get Kensuke to beat Kawada for the belt at the Dome, you have Fujita basically shitting on Kensuke winning the belt. For every, for every Nagata world-beater reign, you've still got two years before them destroying Hashimoto was a draw. His career legitimately never recovers from it. Like, 0-1 zero, one, zero, one heavily papers, like, a lot of their early stuff, which yeah. mm-hmm. should tell you everything. Dude. I think, and also, I, it didn't it help that... Capacity Ryogoku for their first anniversary show, and nobody talks about it. Oh. Like, to, it to kind didn't, of put a on it. It didn't help that Shinya Hashimoto was also he was oval. He he was injury prone oh, and yeah. overweight. We talked about this. Down. Yeah, we talked he, about this. Uh, the later stages of his life were, were not 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 pleasant. I don't I don't it know that it's injury prone, but he he did have a fucked up shoulder that he just never got repaired. Right, correct. By '04, it's like they they literally work it into the Kawada match again. Great match. Find it on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, to, to put a bow on this, a lot of people remember that era the way they do because the internet has handed down, like, WCW sucks. And yes. There's absolute validity to the claims that it was not a super successful period in terms of business. Again, like mm-hmm. I said earlier, they, they papered a lot of those dome shows, but they also did insane numbers on TV for some of those matches. Yeah. But mm-hmm. then again, they would also do terrible numbers on TV for shows that drew well in the building. If you take anything away from me rambling for like the last hour and a half, um, 
it's that if you've heard the booking in that era sucked, you're probably right. <laughs> they, in another, by the way, another um, effect of Uwai being ousted from New Japan is Shibata left, because that's the mm-hmm. guy you trust. Oh, you know? yeah. <laughs> Big Mouth Loud is literally Uwai creating his version of New Japan to make Shibata the top guy. <laughs> Shibata comes back in 06 because Uwai basically is like, we're... We're going to work with New Japan. He kicks Tanahashi's ass, and the fucking agreement goes to shit. But, um, again, literally to the idea that the booking was bad in this era. I will never dispute that there is some absolutely horrendous booking and that they papered the shit out of a lot of shows. But what nobody ever talks about, and, and it gets really disingenuous to hear people say that era of New Japan is bad... I could we could do literally a ninety minute podcast that is just me going off the top of my head like all time classic matches from that era. Oh, there's a shit ton. Yeah, I, I mean People, this is some, this is some of my favorite New Japan stuff. Like I, I'm not even kidding. Like there, there's some of this stuff. It, it just felt so real. It felt like like a real fight. It just felt like there was so much like animosity, so much intense um, feeling in these matches. It just it felt. It didn't feel like these two guys rehearsed something. It, it felt like the guys were going out here and to kill each other, even if it wasn't, you know, like that. But it felt like that a lot of the time. I and think... in all honesty, it probably helps that none of the guys that they brought in were trained. Oh, Murakami yeah. was not trained. Ogawa was not trained. These guys were not, like, warehoused yeah. in the fucking Japan dojo. These guys didn't throw working punches? punches like... <laughs> no, actually... <laughs> I, I, and I think also what I think and also if you really think about like this I think the I, like for example the G1 2003 stuff where Tenzan going through the going through the block with Akiyama from Noah bringing in the spiciness in the in, in that G1 climax, that was great, in my opinion. And then 04 yeah. with Tenzon g- going back to back, and then 05 with Kaz going unbeaten throughout <laughs> the, the, the block stage. Yeah. <laughs> in less than 10, and most of his matches, it was sub 10 minute matches. Literally. It yeah, was heated. That's, yeah. That's what I like a lot about yeah. this era of New Japan too, man. You, you're, you, a lot of these were you were in and out, and you know sometimes for the best, some, sometimes for the better, sometimes for worse. But a lot of times it was for better. Um, well, they you, also had Yuji Nagata wrestle two sixty-minute draws during his title reign, but nobody talks about that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Chono Nakanishi. For those of you wondering, uh, Nagata and Chono is not something I would tell you that you need to watch. Nakanishi Nagata, however, is a very fun match. I think. Uh, I think people who have preconceived notions of Nakanishi going into that match might be surprised if they watched it. But um, yeah. when people talk about, like, well, the MMA fighters came in and none of it was good, Murakami was amazing. Yes. Fujita very rarely had an actual bad match. Uh, Bob Sapp, for all of the faults he had, essentially being barely trained. The Nakanishi match is great. The Kensuke match is great. Did they have to do, did they have to do shenanigans to kind of cover it up? Yes, but... Doing Barnett. shenanigans to cover up people's shortcomings is literally what pro wrestling is all about. All right, Josh Barnett. The Duh. Even... Josh Barnett comes in. The Yuji Nagata match is amazing. 
it's the one singles match he has in New Japan that I would actually recommend you watch. Yeah. It's, it's, um, we really didn't really get into any of the scandal stuff outside of, like, 1499, but there's there's really not, like, other than that and why getting ousted for fucking Mr. Magooing all of the cards in 2004, there's, there's not a lot of scandals in this era. It's just, it just happened. Yeah. And, and... Can I play, um... Uh, I haven't said much. Um, I, I just want to throw my opinion in there. Like, uh... I can go mm-hmm. back and look, like, I, I get your point of view, Ricky, that, like, this is, like, you're ve- I can tell you're super passionate, this is your shit, like, you know this shit, like, mm. this is your stuff, but, <clears throat> and again, like, a lot of people just find this stuff boring compared to 90s, um, the entertainment stuff, like, the Three Musketeers, and... Then, then you can watch 2000s New Japan, and a lot of it's guys rolling around or kicks or just punches. Like, it's not this big entertainment. Um, that, that's the only thing. Like, I I couldn't watch any of this stuff. I, I, only, um, I only got appreciation for that style about two or three years ago. So the first, all my first ten years of fandom... I was just a kid, and I only understood appreciation for that style of shoot style a few years ago. But before then, I thought it was the most boring shit on planet Earth. I was waiting for these guys to do something. I'd pop if they punched someone in the head. But for the majority, I, I couldn't deal with it. And um, like a Bob Sapp, I still can't watch a Bob Sapp match. I, even, the, <laughs> even the Kensuke Sasaki match, I think... He, I think he's fantastic, like the character, or well, not the character, just the person. Like all of his commercials were hilarious, and like he was huge, obviously. He was all but over I Japanese television at one point. Yeah, he, he was, was all. He, yeah, he was Hulk Hogan, bigger. Um, well, not I don't know if I could say bigger, but he was huge. Um, everybody knew him, and he was still relevant. He still is relevant. He's sort of hidden away now. I think the last time he popped up on a show was a 2017-01 show. Yes. With Anita or something. Um, yeah. But uh, he, he is definitely a big deal. But I'm just meaning the in-ring in side. Like, I, I can like some of the stuff now. Um, but uh, I don't know. I just don't think... It's a weird time in wrestling because everybody does speak so negatively about it. And a lot of like new fans that come in my age, the 20 year olds, 21 year olds, 19 year olds, they they just hear Anokiism was so bad. And that was what I first thought when I was 16 going back and looking at it. I was like, this shit's boring. And I, I think it takes a while to appreciate that style. And once you go back and learn and understand it, if you just take a wrestling fan that's been watching WWE and modern new Japan and you thrust them into a Nokiaism, they're going to, just think, what the heck is this? Um, well, I don't know. I think it takes a few maturing as a fan. Like, I, I used to just pop for Sabu doing flips through tables, even though how shit it would be. But that, that was when I was 10 years old. Now I'm a bit older. I, I like um, mm-hmm. a, a bit of different stuff, and I appreciate that sort of style now. I think it's great. I've been going back and watching Pro Wrestling Fujiwara Gumi, um, the old UWFI. I was watching um, Masakatsu Funaki 
Oh, he was fucking fantastic. Oh, yeah. Early yeah, he's one from- of the best wrestlers of all time. Oh, and he's yeah. still fantastic. He's shaped. He's he he looks great. Um, he, he, it's a shame he never makes tape anymore. Yeah. N- no. Well, yeah. I'm hoping Real Japan. They just launched their YouTube channel or whatever mm-hmm. that they start posting some of his stuff because, like, he had matches the last few years with like Mitsuya Nagai, Taku, Taku Fuke. Um, yeah. Even Tiger, he only he wrestled Sayama like eight years ago. That's so crazy. Um, Sayama. Yeah. Anyway, I went off on a real tangent. I was just mm. meaning to say like, I, I didn't get it initially. Um, it's much like deathmatch wrestling. I didn't get deathmatch wrestling. Now I get deathmatch wrestling. I, I just think mm. it takes time because mm-hmm. it, it's very different to turning on Raw and seeing that. You know. I, I, I do want to make one distinction. You did mention shoot style. Um, that's that's kind of like a it, it's it's different. Um, shoot style was meant to be more like what if wrestling had actual rules and you couldn't pin somebody. Well, I mean they had pins in the original UWF, but they they yeah. changed it to like knockout or submission only. The stuff in the two thousands New Japan. It's it's strong style, and here's the thing: a lot of people don't don't know is it really is just a 2000s reskin of 80s New Japan, and I think if people looked at it right. like that, they'd look at it a lot more fondly, because a lot of the same bullshit that they did with like Strong Machine in the 80s, they, they that's the Makai Club, straight up. Yep. Um, I mean, he's even in the Makai Club, but like I think you know what? If you take nothing away from this podcast. New Japan 2002 is literally just New Japan 1982. It's fine. You can you can admit that you like it now. I, I just mm. gave you a reason to like it. It's mm. 80s New Japan, but in the 2000s. Mm-hmm. But uh, and New Japan's finishes have always been like you can like go back to any sort of era in New Japan. Like there's always yeah, they've always been finishes. It's time. always been the Americanized Japanese promotion. Yes, always. Yeah. That's my big trope on going back and watching these Stan Hansen, Bruiser Brody, like all these great matches in the 80s, but they all have the Fuck shitty finishes. Finish. Fuck yeah. finishes all over the place. Baba was uh, notorious yes. for that in the 80s. Yes. And he'll Just, go to if, if Watching all these guys shoot interviews and like, like the guys that have no right to have these types of egos just don't want a job. Like, I was watching one giant Kamala 2, like, two years into his career, was telling Baba I didn't want a job. Like, <laughs> you have no right. Like, yeah, anyway. Yeah, I think, I think and then, come, then, um, with, it, it feels like to me, like, we, we, I'm sorry, we, we watching the, the Japan 2000 stuff from 02 to, let's say, 06. This stuff, there is, there are plenty of classes to be found within those years. Yep. Yeah, but I think people are a lot lighter on 2006 because that's like the, that's Tanahashi's push and people accept that that's the year that they got Inoki the fuck out. Right. The thing, the thing is like, so much of that era is not readily available on New Japan World. You have to, you have to like seek it out on Daily Motion or God forbid we turn more people onto the ditch. <laughs> like, I'm trying to figure out how to put this. They, um, 
a, a lot of the younger fans who get into it, to Isaac's point, they um, it, it's such a shock. It's such a different presentation than what they're used to, especially if you're watching Modern New Japan. I think if you... You know what? Honestly, me having the revelation the 2000s New Japan is just reskinned 80s New Japan's like, yeah, just take that away from this podcast. <laughs> it, it wasn't an era that was marred by like Inoki was obsessed with pushing MMA fighters. It's Uwai leaned into what Inoki always believed about wrestling, yeah. and then once Uwai leaves, th- that era is pretty much dead. Like you again, Kosaka comes in for two shows. They, I think Josh Barnett might still be on some undercards in 05. I think he is. I think they actually right. replaced him in the 05 G1 with Tatsutoshi Goto, which yeah. produces a great match with Fujita. And again, Fujita's around in 05 because Team Inoki. Yeah, right. And I mean, this goes all the way back to, I mean, to Inoki bringing in Carl Gotch. I mean, it's just like, it goes farther back. I mean, it go, it's been ingrained in the company since day one. It's just singled out in a very particular era because people like Noah better. And that's another aspect of this nobody ever talks about, is that there's a certain type of fan who reads a certain type of newsletter who was led to believe a certain type of main eventer in a certain promotion called All Japan Pro Wrestling was better than the New Japan heavyweights in the 90s. In, in mm. It's true, listen. listen. No, uh, don't get this debate going. Don't get this debate going. Weapon. No, there's there's absolute merit to it. You're not going to tell me it's not. In the what? Thing is, in about. No. Uh, uh, about all Japan and Noah, I think. No, all Noah, Japan, New Japan in the nineties, the heavyweights. Oh, okay. I'm not. I'm not debating which is better. We we can. That's not what I'm saying. The Western perception of it is that the New Japan heavyweights were clearly beneath the All Japan heavyweights and I'll end it I'll end this discussion here that's bullshit yeah the All Japan I, heavyweights are amazing but you're not going to tell me that they're all better than Hashimoto yeah, you're not oh, going to tell me no. they're better they're not better than fucking Hase Hase and, and I'll yeah. like this I'll say it like this but I, what I'm I, saying is that the people who read the Observer in the '90s, and it becomes conventional wisdom again. Like Enochism is bad, WCW right. is bad. It becomes conventional wisdom that New Japan's heavyweights were never better than the King's Road or whatever you want to call the Noah style. And I think that led a lot of people, like when when you like, because look, when you hear people talk about the classic matches of early 2000s Japanese wrestling, very little of it's New Japan. Because there's always been the preconceived notion, because of conventional wisdom being passed down, that New Japan's main events sucked, you should just watch Noah instead. And that's led to people overlooking literal years of great matches, because they've heard the booking sucked, or there's MMA fighters. Yeah, but my thing is, I think think the thing is, with the Noah and and other... I think, okay, Noah was very fortunate that they were writing off the coattails of the Baba era. Very fortunate. It, well, they were also fortunate that they managed to snake the NTV time slot from All Japan in 2001 yes. as well. Oh, yes. I think, uh, the, yeah, I think, yeah, there were that too, and I think they were also like, they had the Kobashi two-year run as uh, on top, which, even though some of those matches... They were they, they were chore to sit through, like seriously. If you didn't, for example, it, it, it 
Saido had no right to be challenged for Kobashi for the title 2004. That match is awesome, though. If you're, if you're gonna listen, if you're gonna pick a match from the Kobashi reign to shit on, it's the Mike Awesome match. That is that is oh. that is the match. Actually, it was. I don't awesome. know who the fuck decided and, and Mike Awesome Suzuki needed to go match. 28 minutes. Oh. The Suzuki match is not great either. No. I am not, no. and I know a lot of the people have a religion to defend when it comes to that match, but like. The, the awesome match is just so like because they have a really good like 19 minute match in all japan five years earlier but we're like way off track my point was that there's a lot of preconceived notions about this era because western fans of pro press were led to think a certain style is superior and that's kind of what's been handed down um dave had a lot of influence on stuff there's no question oh, yeah. about it I think, I think, but you know what though? I think I'll take the Japan matches from the '90s because they had actual characters in there. Like they were actual charism, they were more charismatic than, let's say, the Japan guys. Like I'm sorry, the closest sure. guy I would say that had charisma would be Kawada and Kobashi. Yeah. Well, also to to this uh, to the point. Um, New Japan, for whatever anybody wants to say, like, All Japan had the heavy NWA influence, obviously. New Japan was always the more Americanized promotion. You even see it now. Um, They put a lot of emphasis in characters. Like, a lot of people want to talk about, like, the work rate of Tiger Mask, but he's literally a dude (laughs) based off of fucking anime. Right. People want to talk about, like... Jushin Liger. Liger. Yeah, I was about to mention Liger. They want to talk about El Samurai. He's a dude in a fucking mask. They've always... Strong machine. Uh, heat. Masa Saito, heat. when he came back from fucking prison, he had a gimmick. Yeah. Like, New Japan has literally always had gimmicks. I mean, if you look at current New Japan, it's like, find me a person on that roster that doesn't have a gimmick. Even the Young Lions have a gimmick. Yeah. Shibata's trick was literally, he is the fucking wrestler. He is, a, he is a dude in black trunks with kick pads. He's the wrestler. That's his gimmick. Right, like mm-hmm. it's always been a thing, and I think that to that end, um, people have kind of always been dismissive of New Japan, classic New Japan, comparative to All Japan, because it's it's more Americanized than what people perceive as the pure uh, Japanese product. We have gone way the fuck off the rails here, mm-hmm. but it's mm-hmm. okay. I, I I appreciate the discussion because I think there are some very good points that kind of loop back to. You know the Inoki, the Inokiism, you know, point in general, and yeah, and there there was a lot of I think there's a lot of misconceptions, you know, of that era, and I think it, it's good to talk about some of those and and really clear things up a little bit because I think there's a lot of conflicting information out there, and I you know, I don't I don't want to blame that, you know, a lot of people, you know, parrot a lot of that stuff, but you know, it's it's hard when there is a lot of a lot of different stories being told by a lot of different people. And I think that's kind of like a really a summary of what goes on with Enochism in, in the wrestling community in, in general. It's just a lot of misinformation that a lot of people have parroted for a long period of time. And I think I, it's just I'm how sorry. it's kind of been for a long while, you know, and it's hard to reverse a lot of years of that thinking, I think. So. Right. I uh, I think the legacy of Enochism is that it's it's a buzzword created by like years of message board conventional wisdom being passed down. If you would allow me the um, the courtesy to close it, I can give you like an actual definition of what Enochism is and what it isn't. 
Um, Enochism is not Antonio Enochi trying to kill his company by bringing in MMA fighters. It is not him attempting to kill his company by never pushing guys when they should have been. Granted, you can argue that happened with Tenzon, and they bungled his push, and he never yeah. became the star he could have been, but that, that starts way earlier than 2003, if we're being honest. It, it really does. Um, Enochism isn't like the belief that shoot fighters are better pro like better pro wrestlers than pro wrestlers that you can make the argument for guys like Markami. What Enochism was, and I think more than my it's really just eighties New Japan thing, what I think people need to understand, Enochism was the belief that pro wrestling is the strongest martial art. It is the undying commitment to the idea that pro wrestlers are fighters too. It is the it is the very root of professional wrestling itself, and I'm not trying to sound melodramatic when I say that, but it's it's the truth. It is we have different styles and we're going to we're going to have this fight and you're going to see at the end that pro wrestling is in fact the strongest. It's not this guy who's a kickboxer, it's not this guy who's a jujitsu guy. It's not this guy who's like a Greco Roman wrestler who can also box. It is it is pro wrestling. Pro wrestling is the strongest. It's literally been the foundation of New Japan Pro Wrestling since nineteen seventy two. It's not it's not as um, prevalent now, but even in the Bushi Road era they brought the Gracies in to try to try to recapture that idea. Enochiism is basically the idea that those words that are at the top of the New Japan logo, King of Sports, are true. And they brought in everybody that they could and to some extent did everything that they could with booking to make sure that the fans believed that. Now, there were obviously questionable decisions made. It didn't always turn out that New Japan was the king of sports. But if you think about it, the Anoki adjacent guys were always the king of sports. So, yeah, there's that. But Enochiism is not what you've been told that it is. It is a completely different thing, and I think if you're one of the people who have had the conventional wisdom passed down to you that it sucks because it's MMA fighters and none of them could work and all of this stuff, if you take an actual objective look at what happened in that era, there's there's legitimately good stuff. And if you look at it from the perspective, not that Inoki was crazy and wanted to have MMA fighters, but rather that he brought them in to showcase how strong his talent was, there's a lot of fun to be had watching it. You just have to understand you're not getting head drop fests like Noah. You're not you're getting a completely different interpretation of pro wrestling than anything else that was happening in Japan outside of Zero One um, at that time. So again, what is Enochiism? New Japan Pro Wrestling. It's the king of sports. I, I couldn't have said it much better than that. <laughs> That's pretty pretty spot on. Uh, I, any of you guys have anything else to add? Uh, Isaac, Jamil. Nope, that's go. it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I couldn't have said that much better than that. I, 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 and I agree. I think people need to give that era of New Japan so much more of a shot because I've found some just some amazing, wonderful stuff that's elicited such uh, joy out of me uh, when watching it. And uh, I, I've de- it's definitely uh, been um, awesome f- the, when I did give it a chance. So I hope more people do give it a shot. Uh, at some point maybe you know maybe down the road maybe that thinking will reverse itself a little bit so who knows i mean it did with wcw 
Yeah. So, you know, you just, mm-hmm. just got to keep fighting the good fight. Yeah. But again, this is uh, Pearl and the Rob scandals, and there really was only like two, and they weren't yeah. as big as maybe people thought they were. But yeah, so I don't want to seem make this this the title. You know, this seem misleading. You know, I mean, I there were certain you know thing. I maybe scandals was a harsh word for this episode, but you know there was a lot of misconception and a lot of a lot of weird, crazy things that that did happen. You know, maybe scandal, maybe not the word, but a lot of a lot of confusion and a Banding lot of anarchism. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> you know what's funny is I'm probably gonna listen to this after the fact, and I'm gonna like slap myself for not saying so much more than I did on some of the stuff. But mm. yeah, it's. It's not an era where, like, a dude sabotaged... Well, he did sabotage Hashimoto, but he didn't try to openly sabotage his company. The, the scandals were... They were works. Right, uh, for the most part. Really yeah. they were. Yeah. Yeah, we're, maybe we should just call, call this clearing up misconception. <laughs> but, yeah, um, so, guys, uh, if you got your, your Twitter or whatever you want else we want to plug, please uh, feel free <laughs> oh, I guess that's on me. Um, Pro Res Hero, P R O W R E S H E R O. Twitter, Instagram. That's. Yeah, I don't think I have anything else. It's, it's those two. So. Um, you can just listen to this podcast. Give that. Uh, give the five stars on iTunes. I like saying that. Every <laughs> no, five two. Five stars on the podcast app on Apple. Yeah, something like that, right? Six if you're Dave. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God. No, I've got a new interview out with, um, should be out soon. Yes. Uh, Steven, INTL Wrestling. We just talk some, like, death matches and some, I don't like the word sleazy, but some wrestling in front of, like, 50 people in Tokyo and yep. wrestler stories and... Yeah, some dirt, some some stuff. Yeah, it will be arriving on the PITR feed at some point uh, soon. Uh, we'll, I, I'm working. To, I'm going to be working through this this episode and that episode, so uh, we'll we'll get it up there at some point in whatever order. I'm not sure, but <laughs> no worries at all. Thank you for listening. Thank you for Ricky for joining the podcast um, as a guest. Uh, it was really nice to come on, and we went. How long did we go? Um, Almost two cool. hours. Yeah. Oh yeah. Thank you. Oh. Yeah, we went. We went. We went double Broadway on this one. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh god. I, oh, I, I god. did my and, best and, to try to get everything on track and get everything out that I that I wanted to. I think I probably didn't get all of it, but you know, if, if somebody takes away from this podcast that they they had some preconceived errors about that or preconceived notions about that era that weren't uh, maybe spot on, if they give that era a try if they finally stop saying that fucking Hashimoto versus Ogawa from January 4th, 1999 was a shoot, um, then then it would have this is all of all. Well, I did that closing bit like five minutes ago when we're still talking. Oh, God. But yeah, uh, say your prayers, uh, take your vitamins, wrestling's fake, and so is Hashimoto versus Ogawa. Gosh. <laughs> Jamil, um, where can we find you? You, you guys can find me on Twitter on on Real Hero one two zero eight nine, in which I am uploading a freaking shit ton of pure, of pure stuff. 
Oh boy, for every day for the past what two months now since this quarantine mess started. Yep. Yes. Thank God for that. <laughs> but um, seriously, thank thank you again, Ricky, for coming on here. Uh, I, I really appreciate, and I'm I think we all appreciate uh all the knowledge you just dropped on on here because uh that 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 was a lot, and uh, I I also appreciate uh everybody listening during this this crazy time uh. And I'm hopeful that we can keep delivering some cool stuff like this for you guys to get through this crap that we're going through right now. So, again, thank you all for listening. Thank you again, Ricky, for coming. Um, we are uh, we are gonna probably do another episode pretty soon, I think. Uh, in the, without me, within the next several days, uh, or you know, within the next week or so, we're probably gonna get another one of these out as well and, and talk about. Um, we might be doing Monkey Gate next, so that that might be one to look out for. Oh, that's um, that's what I'm interested in hearing. Yeah. Oh, also before we go, I just want you all to know, Kensuke Sasaki did it. Gonpei <laughs> and the dude in the World Japan Dojo, hundred percent. That's Kensuke Sasaki. Oh the reason God. he walks around like he's got a big ass dude is he's constantly shitting himself because he doesn't want people to find out. But <laughs> Kensuke did it. Yeah. Still, still an all-time great wrestler, though. I don't hold it against him. <laughs> All right, guys, thank mm-hmm. you, thank you, and uh, have a have a nice few couple uh, next weekend. Thank you. <laughs>